Hi, thanks for listening. I'm Harvey Church, and this is my podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about my next novel, which is titled The Last Night. Now, this one's a little different than The Last Friend, um, in that this one was inspired by an actual event. Several years ago, my wife had something of an episode in the middle of the night where she, she got up and complained of having a, a sore back and ended up collapsing and she'd stopped breathing and was unresponsive. And although it all seems to have happened very slowly uh, in hindsight, I think it all happened fairly quickly because when I was unable to get her to respond, the first thing I did was reach for the phone and contact emergency services and they sent an ambulance. Once they came and took her away, I wondered which hospital they were taking her to because, you know, there are several in the area. And in the panic of the moment, uh, I obviously hadn't been paying enough attention. So that's where this novel comes from. And the rest of it's pretty much all made up. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and read the first chapter of The Last Night. Hopefully it's interesting enough for you to pick it up while it's on sale. If not, then hopefully the next chapters I read over the next few days will be inspiring enough to get you to pick it up. Chapter 1. The day Ethan Vernon became a true multimillionaire, his past came back to bite him. With a vengeance, in fact. The kind of retribution that spawns bribes and ends lives. It didn't start out that way. It started as a nibble, prompted by the fact that if his wife hadn't disappeared seven and a half years prior, he wouldn't be stepping up to the teller wicket as a multimillionaire in the first place. And he never would have gone to the Second City branch on North Ave, with a big smile on his face as he stepped up to the teller and handed her the insurance check for two and a half million dollars. Deposit, he said, keeping his voice low. There was nobody else in the branch. The young teller's blue eyes widened as she glanced down at the check and absorbed the enormity of his request. A savings account, Ethan said, his heart pounding in his ears as he wiped his clammy palms down the thighs of his jeans. Now that the courts had declared Raleigh dead in absentia, the insurance company had been cleared to pay him, and that meant he'd been able to retire from his analyst job at Exact Data Systems, a data center for a large credit card company. By retiring at the ripe old age of 35, Ethan was hoping to finally move on with his life as an official widower. But, as a wide-eyed teller tapped away at her computer, depositing the money into his bank account, what had begun as a nagging nibble that Thursday afternoon quickly escalated into a morbid gnawing. The kind that breaks the surface of the skin, draws blood, and leaves scars. Do you need a receipt, the teller asked him. Ethan shuffled his weight from one leg to the other, wiped his palms dry again, and then cleared his throat. Does it show in the account right away? Certainly does, Mr. Vernon. He nodded, tapped the teller wicket, and then turned on his heels and walked away. Once Ethan left the Second City branch and settled behind the wheel of his new Jaguar F-Pace SUV, he felt like he had finally moved past the bad chapters of his life. However, that relief of finally being free and of being past all the bad things that came with losing a wife without ever knowing what had happened to her lasted all of three minutes. As he made his left turn onto Halstead, intent on driving north into Chicago's rejuvenated neighborhoods, 
Ethan came across a car accident, a violent and messy one, the type where parents tell their children to look away. A Jaguar SUV, just like his except blue instead of white, had been T-boned with such force that it had rolled over multiple times, toppled the traffic light at the next intersection across both lanes, blocking Ethan's and the oncoming lanes, and finally came to rest against a bus shelter. Understandably, traffic had come to a standstill. People had killed their engines and stepped out to watch the emergency crew, three trucks from the Chicago Fire Department, a pair of police cars and a single ambulance, from behind their open windows and doors. Ethan also stopped his Jag to have a look. He killed the engine with a shaky push of the ignition button, unclasped the seatbelt, and then stepped out from behind the steering wheel. Recently retired with $2.5 million in the bank, he wasn't exactly in a big hurry to get back to a desk or, in his case, a home that had remained empty and hollow since Rally had disappeared seven and a half years ago. If anything, the distraction offered by the violent accident was welcome. Unlike the other onlookers who watched from their vehicles or behind their open doors, Ethan moved toward the other jag, the mangled heap of blue metal where the first responders were working frantically to reach the passenger or passengers inside the quiet, smothered cabin. Where's the car that hit him, he asked, approaching a large man with red hair and a white goatee outside a big Mercedes-Benz. The ginger Benz owner pointed a thick finger in the opposite direction. Half a block away, Ethan saw a large, heavy-duty Ford pickup that seemed to be watching on. The truck was a matte gray monster. It had four real wheels and a reinforced chrome grill that was meant more as insurance to ensure the pedestrians, wildlife, or cyclists, or in this case, jaguars, it struck would die on impact rather than end up permanently injured. Must have been booking it, the Benz owner speculated. Bet you he was clocking 50 miles an hour. Uh-huh. Ethan continued forward as the firefighters got the jaws of life contraption set up for the tricky extraction. Once the hydraulic lines were all hooked up, the mechanical jaw began chewing through metal, a sound that made Ethan cringe. At that moment, with the on-site demolition taking place to his left, Ethan realized that he wasn't walking toward the big wreck anymore. Instead, he was headed straight for the ambulance, his attention focused on its wide-open rear doors. The ambulance's interior was vacant, no paramedics inside. They were standing by at the scene, the gurney open, waiting closer to the jag for whatever mess remained of the driver and passengers. That was also when another medic appeared, walking out from the front of the ambulance with his hands on his hips. Can I help you, sir? His voice was stern and suspicious, as young as Ethan's, but it wasn't his voice that Ethan cared about. In his tight-fitting EMT uniform, the brown-haired medic frowned. Ethan knew that suspicious scowl, but the rest of the medic's face meant nothing. I know the face, even after all of these years. Sir, you need to return to your vehicle, the medic said. We'll get you on your way shortly. Not recognizing the EMT, not his lips, eyes, voice, or any other aspect of his physical appearance, Ethan finally allowed a deep breath. It came out as a relieved sigh before he turned and stepped back from the ambulance, its wide-open back doors, the empty treatment compartment watching him. For most people, that ambulance wouldn't have been a big deal. But for Ethan, the last time he'd stared into the back of an ambulance like the one at the scene of that horrible accident, a trio of EMTs had pushed Rowley inside and closed the doors. It was the last night he'd ever seen her. 